Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. As the saying goes, a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. Cybercriminals seeking to seize sensitive health information are increasingly targeting vulnerable vendors to get around the safeguards healthcare providers, insurers, and other entities have erected to protect patient data. As healthcare organizations more commonly tap third-party vendors to handle business functions, cybersecurity experts have warned that they're creating opportunities for hackers. Data breaches of vendors, which fall under the business associate category on the Health and Human Services Department Office of Civil Rights breach portal, have grown in number and scale over the past five years. Why the increase in third-party vendor attacks? How can organizations bolster cybersecurity? And can we be optimistic in an environment where business associates and patient access innovation is a way of life in care delivery? Welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm Michael McNutt, Weedy's Director of Education and Events, sitting in for Matthew Albright. For nearly 30 years, Weedy has been an instrumental force in igniting public and private partnerships to empower meaningful change for the American healthcare system. Recognized and trusted as a formal advisor to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Weedy is the leading authority on the use of health IT to efficiently improve health information exchange, enhance care quality, and reduce cost. Learn more about our association, including membership benefits, at wedi.org. Today, I welcome Timothy Noonan, the Deputy Director of Health Information Privacy, Data, and Security at the United States Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, commonly referred to as OCR. OCR administers and enforces the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, HIPAA, Privacy, Security, and Breach Notification Rules, and the Patient Safety and Quality Improvement Act and Rule through investigations, rulemaking, guidance, and outreach. Previously, Tim served in OCR's headquarters as the Acting Associate Deputy Director for Operations and the Acting Director for Centralized Case Management Operations. Tim joined OCR as the Southeast Regional Manager in November of 2013. Prior to joining OCR, Tim worked for the United States Department of Education Office for Civil Rights and was a shareholder in a Michigan law firm. Tim is a graduate of Michigan State University and Wayne State University Law School. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Uh, hello, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for jumping on. Uh, before diving into business associates and cyber criminals and all that, let's learn a little bit more about you. Talk about your path through healthcare. Uh, more importantly, you know, healthcare security or data security and civil rights. Sure. Uh, well, as you said in your intro, uh, I joined OCR in uh, 2013 as a regional manager. And so a regional manager in OCR uh, were broken up into uh, eight regions. And so I was in the southeast in Atlanta. And that's where all the investigations in OCR take place. And so OCR uh, has a huge swath of uh, jurisdictional authority. Uh, we administer or enforce about 55 different uh, statutory authorities. Uh, so among them, civil rights, and then uh, as you alluded to, the, the HIPAA the HIPAA rules, privacy, uh, uh, breach, notification, and security. And so uh, as a regional manager, I oversaw uh, investigations, uh, you know, starting with the receipt of a breach report, for example, uh, you know, the initiation of data requests, uh, the interviews, the collection of data, the, the assemblance of letters of findings, and then ultimately making uh, evidentiary determinations. And for certain cases that uh, we choose to resolve with um, uh say, a corrective action plan, uh, because we believe uh, more action is needed in order to bring the entity into compliance, we would develop a resolution agreement and then work with the regulated entity to try and come to an agreement. So I got to do that for a number of years. 
you know, from uh, 2013 to about uh, 2018 with um, uh, the regional office. And then I got involved in some headquarters things, as you alluded to, uh, acting associate deputy director for operations that uh, I helped the uh, deputy director for regional operations uh, with the management and oversight of OCR's regional offices and then the centralized case management operations. That's uh, that's our triage unit. So that's where uh, all the complaints that OCR receives. And we currently receive over 50,000 complaints a year. So quite a bit. Um, they, they come into the centralized case management operations. And that's where we determine what are cases that uh, we lack jurisdiction? What are cases we think we can resolve with technical assistance, you know, perhaps uh, some written uh, guidance uh, materials and what are cases that need to be investigated? And then the cases that are going to be investigated get pushed to our uh, regional offices. I have to say the one question aside from everything else is how did you adjust from the winners? You being kind of a Midwest, you went to Michigan state to coming down to Atlanta. How, how was that? Uh, it, was, it was amazing. It was the uh, the, the best move uh, of my life. As, as I say, uh, you, you, you don't shovel heat. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's humid. Uh, you know, the summer runs uh, forever. Uh, if you go outside to get your mail, you're probably going to sweat. But, um, you know, you're not sliding in traffic. You don't have snow piled up on your roof. And so uh, I, it's uh, it's been a great um, it was a great move for my family, both uh, you know professionally and personally. Just uh, we love the uh, Georgia Atlanta area and uh, and joining. Uh, I started off with the U.S. Department of Education, which was a, a fantastic experience investigating civil right uh, investigations there. And, uh, you know, then coming over here. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great move. Yep. You can't shovel snow, but you can really push humidity, especially <laughs> Atlanta humidity. You can, you can feel like you're pushing it. <laughs> right. Um, before we go deeper into the idea of business associates and cyber attacks, um, kind of from a general perspective, and this is something that we at WDC so much, outside of the, the third parties, uh, you're looking at kind of an environment with regulations that are allowing patients more access uh, to their info than ever before. Then you got coupled with emerging technology and innovation. Uh, also, a generation out there more willing to share its info. Uh, and then vendors chomping at the bit to create the latest app to allow that information to once again flow freely. Along with these business associates, I would have to say or assume OCR is really busy right now in terms of looking out for you know patient data with all these constant things that are allowing data to more freely flow, but also runs the risk of cyber attacks, runs the risk of privacy issues. So what's your kind of ongoing thought of kind of the general nature of health interoperability right now? Sure. Well, I mean, it's a super uh, exciting time, I think, uh, for individuals, uh, consumers and patients. Uh, patients um, have greater access to their own health information uh, now than, you know, perhaps ever before. And that's uh, that's a right, uh, by the way, that's a right enshrined in the HIPAA privacy rule. And so it's, it's something we, we very much support. Uh, we want patients to have access to their health information. It, uh, it leads to better healthcare outcomes and it uh, empowers the patient to make informed decisions about their healthcare. Uh, you know, patients with access to their health information are better able to monitor uh, chronic conditions, uh, adhere to uh, treatment plans, uh, find and fix errors in their health records, all, all sorts of things. Um, and with the increasing use of uh, health information technologies, um, individuals have, you know, ever expanding and, and really innovative opportunities to access their information electronically, uh, quickly and easily in real time and in uh, on demand. And so that's good. But and, and there's always a but right yeah. uh, with these increases in available ways to access, uh, track and record your own health information comes some caution. 
And first, I, I would remind that the HIPAA rules generally do not apply to health information that uh, an individual, a consumer, a patient, uh, that they store on their own personal mobile device, such as their, their smartphone uh, or their tablet. And so we, we published guidance uh, last year in June, uh, aimed at consumers that advises on best practices that they can follow to protect uh, the health information on their own mobile devices. Mobile devices when when HIPAA doesn't apply, and it, it reminds the public that uh, most identifiable health information that is stored on a personal cell phone or tablet is not protected health information, and so it's it's not covered under HIPAA. Identifiable health information is only protected health information when it's transmitted or maintained by a HIPAA-covered entity or their business associate. And so that means, for example, uh, identifiable health information in an app uh, provided by a doctor's office that a consumer uses, that likely would be protected health information because it's it's a health app, there's somebody that created it, and they're in a, rela a relationship uh, with the healthcare provider, they're providing the service, uh, they're creating, receiving, maintaining, transmitting health information on behalf of the covered entity. So that's an instance uh, where it would be. But information in a consumer weight loss app, for example, that would not be covered by HIPAA. And so you you have all sorts of different uh, apps and devices out there that can track different uh, health conditions in such that uh, relies upon the individual to enter their own health information into there. But if that's something that they pulled off the, the Google or Apple store, uh, most likely there's no relationship with a covered entity. And so the information you're in, entering in there uh, is not protected by HIPAA. I, I had read a book a number of years ago, and I, I regrettably, I don't remember the, the name of the book, but it, it said, um, where, where, where the app is free, the product is you. And that's always stuck with me, uh, you know, in my own, uh, you know, use of apps. Anytime you download an app and they ask for certain permissions that you, you perhaps just kind of gloss over and yes, 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 I want to play that game or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's accessing your photos, it's it's accessing uh, you know, your emails, you know, whatever, whatever you got stored on the device and, and the permissions they're seeking. So we put out this guidance to you know, remind folks um, and, and give them you know, steps that they can take to decrease how their cell phones or tablets collects and shares their, their health and other personal information uh, without their knowledge. And so, for example, how to turn off location services, um, best practices on selecting apps or browsers, uh, search engines that are recognized as supporting uh, privacy and security. So that's something that we did last year. But, uh, you know, perhaps a broader concern and something that's been going on for a little while that we also addressed a few years ago is the use of health apps by consumers to access their own medical records um, that, uh, that that their healthcare provider has. Again, the, the HIPAA privacy right, you have a, a right of access and you, it's it's a right. You, you are allowed to access your own health information and you are allowed to use a health app to do it electronically. Uh, however, and th this is the point I want to make you know, clear for uh, everyone listening, the HIPAA rules do not follow the health data everywhere it goes. So consumers need to you know, make thoughtful, careful decisions about what um, health apps they're going to use, uh, particularly when the health app developers are not a HIPAA regulated entity. And uh, the health app they select will have access to their health data. And you know, as I say, HIPAA normally doesn't protect that. We issued guidance uh, a couple of years ago on HIPAA, the access right and health apps that uh, discusses uh, when the HIPAA rules apply to health apps uh, that are used when a consumer is, is seeking access to the information their, their healthcare uh, provider provides. So, you know, those are the two main concerns. As I say it's it's an exciting time, but it's just, um, you know, proceed with caution. You know, your your health app, you know, if, if you think back to your, your time in high school and if you told your best friend a secret, it might be around the school by lunchtime. If you're um, sharing health information with your health app uh, and it's not regulated by HIPAA, uh, you know, the vendor, the, the, uh, uh, health app owner, they may be able to do stuff with your data that is not in line with your expectations. So, uh, you know, 
be aware. And there's, you know, there's other agencies, you know, looking into this and the representations, the FTC is getting involved on the representations that companies are making about what they do with privacy uh, and, and individuals information. And so uh, I would encourage folks to, uh, you know, go to the FTC website also to take a look, to learn more uh, about the, uh, the non-HIPAA world as it is. Exactly. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Um, now let's flip the script away from the consumer and the wonderful world that we're creating there. But let's look on the other side of what we're talking about, business associates or even bigger um, cyber issues, data breaches. Um, at OCR, uh, talk about some of the trends that you've been seeing, recurring things themes that you've been seeing at OCR, um, along with any common deficiencies that OCR has been investigating? Sure. So uh, as a law enforcement agency, as you can imagine, we're, we're a bit of a treasure trove of all sorts of data on uh, trends and a lot of stuff. So today I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, what we see in large breach reporting. And so a large breach is uh, uh, under HIPAA, you're required to uh, notify the secretary of HHS and then OCR of any uh, large breach affecting 500 or more individuals uh, within 60 days. And so uh, the large breach reports over the last five years, you know, we, we have received uh, a huge increase. We used to say uh, we averaged uh, receipt of one large breach a day. So there's one large breach in the healthcare uh, field occurring every day. Uh, but that was back in 2018. You know, that, that year we received 369. Last year we received 712. That's a 93% increase in large breaches reported uh, from between 2018 to 2022. And so, you know, the next question is, well, what what's causing this increase in large breaches being reported to OCR? And, you know, the, the answer is uh, um, uh, surprisingly uh, simple. Hacking. Hacking is the biggest uh, source of large breaches of unsecured uh, protected health information that's reported to OCR. There's a 239% increase in large breach reports involving hacking from 2018 to 2022. And then within hacking, you can see what's driving it. It's ransomware. There was a 278% increase during that same five-year period uh, for uh, large breaches involving ransomware. And then, you know, finally, last uh, you know, major trend I would you know, focus on is uh, uh, where the large breaches occurring. And uh, it's network servers. There was a 609% increase in the report of large breaches involving network servers from 2018 to 2022. So broadly speaking, um, and this isn't just for business associates, but I would include them because uh, it's it's the entire healthcare sector. The trends in large breaches reported to OCR, hacking and ransomware on, on network servers. That's, that's the big concern. And that's uh, where uh, regulated entities you know, should be you know, thinking, if you're going to experience a breach, a large breach, the data suggests it's going to be you know, hacking and, and probably ransomware on a network server. Uh, now, as I say, we, we do um, a number of investigations as a law enforcement agency. And uh, when it comes to um, cyber attacks and hacking, there are certain themes that begin to emerge, um, some common deficiencies that we see in our investigations uh, again, not just limited to uh, business associates, uh, but uh, across uh, the entire uh, spectrum of uh, covered entities, health plans, uh, healthcare providers, and then uh, their business associates. And the, the first one I would start off with, and this this is really the most important. It's it's the it's the building block, the the fundamental, uh, the you know the cornerstone. It, it's the risk analysis. Uh, a risk analysis is the first step in the process of uh, evaluating the risks and vulnerabilities to electronic protected health information, and uh, implementing reasonable and appropriate security measures to protect it against anticipated threats. Uh, this is the most common security rule violation we see. If, if you were to create a word cloud of uh, HIPAA security rule violations, the largest word in the word cloud would be risk analysis. Um, and 
to put it, you know, in simple terms, regulated entities have to know all of the places where uh, electronic protected health information is held uh, so they can properly assess the potential risks and vulnerabilities to it. If you don't know where your EPHI is, you can't protect it. Uh, second, uh, regulated entities need to respond quickly when there's been an intrusion into their I, uh, IT system. And this requires implementing procedures such as regular uh, system activity review, looking at audit logs, access reports, security incident reports. Hackers cannot be allowed to nest inside an entity's IT system for months, undetected, installing malware, and exfiltrating EPHI, and the regulated entity is completely unaware. Uh, third, access controls. Regulated entities should uh, implement multi-factor authentication, um, unique user IDs, and ensure that uh, access to EPHI is limited to only those persons or software programs that have been granted access rights. Uh, don't make it easy for hackers to have unfettered access within your system. Uh, we often see elevation uh, to ad administrator uh, credentials. And uh, if um, you think of, a, think of your information system like a house, and so your access controls are doors in your house. And so if a burglar breaks in your house, if you have all the rooms, the doors to your rooms locked, it slows down the hacker. They're not able to get to the, the dining room, to the family room, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's what access controls does. And if, they're, um, if you don't have proper access controls and if everybody's got uh, administrative uh, rights and can access any information in the system, you're making it super easy. You're, you're essentially giving them the master key to all of the locks uh, in your house. Uh, fourth, the uh, last one I would highlight is uh, audit controls. Entities are required to implement hardware, software, and uh, procedural mechanisms to record uh, and examine the information system activity. You need to know who is accessing the EPHI that you hold and, and when. And so uh, those are recurring themes that we see uh, in hacking cases that uh, unfortunately, there many instances, regulated entities aren't clear on uh, how the intrusion occurred, when the intrusion began, when uh, the exfiltration of data began. They don't have uh, audit controls on all of the information systems. Uh, they haven't uh, done a proper risk analysis. They haven't identified all of the places where information is stored, and they're not regularly reviewing system activity. It's it's like your, uh, you know, your burglar alarm is going off and you're not checking it. It's again using the, the home analogy. So those um, those were the would be the highlights of you know points of emphasis within the HIPAA security rule that uh, OCR uh, would suggest that uh, regulated entities you know really take a hard look at uh, before you experience a breach so that uh, you're, you're limiting your, your uh, cleanup work, mitigation work uh, down the road. Excellent. Talking with Tim Noonan, Deputy Director of Health Information Privacy, Data, and Cybersecurity with OCR on the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. Uh, your thoughts, why are healthcare vendors kind of at the new front of the cybersecurity war? Why are they being targeted at a record rate last year? Well, I think it goes to uh, the the value of the data that they're holding. Uh, the data they're holding, you know, lends itself to so many things. Uh, it's you know, part of what makes a protected health information is everything that ident uh, identifies you and relates to your health information. So your social security number, uh, your name, address. So certainly it's valuable data uh, for identity theft, uh, but it can also be used uh, for extortion. Uh, you know, there's individual health information that people don't want publicized. It's personal, it's private, it could be embarrassing, it could be a lot of things. And so there's 
it's, it's, it's valuable information that, um, you know, cyber criminals have uh, latched on to and, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, the industry as a whole isn't as prepared uh, to address it uh, as other sectors of the economy. You know, it, it used to be we would see more uh, breaches involving, say, stolen laptops or uh, paper, uh, you, know, you know, physical thefts and break-ins. But, but you know, the good and bad of technology nowadays, you, you can commit uh, all sorts of um, mischievous uh, cyber uh, criminal activity without leaving the comforts of your home, yeah. right? You, you don't have to break in. You don't have to, you know, steal it. You don't have to break into a car. You know, uh, a recurring theme that we saw, you know, a few years back was the laptops left in cars, right? And laptops that encrypted doesn't have any, uh, you know, controls on it. And so they can, you know, log right in, you know, sometimes they've got the password and user ID taped to the laptop, right? And so now, now they're in your system and your system's not going to note, this isn't you, right? So, you, you know, there's an instance where system actuary review isn't going to help you, you, you got to have other measures. So it's, um, you, you want to make yourself a hard target. And, it, you know, again, going back to risk analysis, if, if recurring theme, if, if you don't know where your EPHI is, you can't protect it. And that's uh, that's uh, that's a common theme. And, and again, we, we encourage regulated entities to really uh, you know, focus on that. That's uh, everything else in the HIPAA security flows off of knowing where your health information is and what are the risks and vulnerabilities to it. Yeah. Not too long ago it was all about like, uh, don't plug in a USB drive. That was the thing. That was the biggest thing. You know, now it's like, well, who cares about that? Just stuff floating all around trying to get you. Um, in terms of business associates, vendors, uh, and not only them, but also the payers and providers who kind of procure them, you know, what are some best practices that OCR offers and some guidance and some resources that OCR offers to help this transition, help this communication, help this relationship be a more secured one? Sure. So uh, a couple of years ago, we uh, published uh, a specific document on uh, you know business associate liability, uh, and so I, I can follow up with you to get you a link. But if, if you if you were to type in uh, OCR uh, HHS business associate liability HIPAA, uh, it ought to be one of the first uh, search terms that comes up. But it's a document that identifies what uh, what aspects of the HIPAA rules are business associates responsible for that they have direct direct liability for under the HIPAA rules. What are the areas they should focus on? And, you know, I'd highlight they're responsible for all the security rule. So there isn't just some provisions. If it's a requirement in the security rule, it applies to HIPAA business associates. But beyond that, we have uh, really a lot of uh, great materials uh, for regulated entities in general to uh, improve their compliance with the security rule and their overall uh, cybersecurity. We, we publish a cybersecurity newsletter and these newsletters address threats within the industry, as well as helpful best practices, uh, explanations of HIPAA security rule standards. Uh, some recent cybersecurity newsletters from last year, March and uh, October, addressed uh, defending against common cyber attacks, such as uh, phishing, uh, the exploitation of known vulnerabilities, and weak cybersecurity practices. And then um, in October, the HIPAA security incident procedures, how to identify, respond, mitigate, and document security incidents and their outcomes. Uh, past newsletter topics include uh, software vulnerabilities and patching, uh, advanced persistent threats and zero-day vulnerabilities. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, HIPAA and IT asset inventories. That's a great way to uh, build a really efficient risk analysis is using an asset inventory to identify all your IT uh, resources so that you're not overlooking anything. Uh, preventing, mitigating, uh, responding 
responding to ransomware. So uh, if you go to our website, you uh, you can access uh, all of our cybersecurity newsletters. We've been doing it for years and um, really great material there. Uh, something else I would uh, want to raise to everyone's awareness. So in January of 2021, the High Tech Act uh, was amended and a requirement was added for OCR to take into consideration recognized security practices that a regulated entity has had in place for 12 months. Uh, and that's, we're to do that when we're making determinations about civil money penalties, audits, or other remedies that we might agree upon. And the goal here uh, you know, with Congress was to create uh, an incentive for healthcare entities, uh, including business associates, to improve their cybersecurity postures and defenses uh, by implementing these recognized security uh, practices, such as the uh, NIST cybersecurity framework and the uh, cybersecurity practices promulgated uh, by the 405D program. And so we we supported that. Uh, last year, we issued a request for information uh, in the Federal Register asking the public for input on uh, potential future guidance or rulemaking that we could do to help uh, with recognized security practices. Uh, and the comments that we received to the RFI are available on uh, regulations.gov, so anyone uh, can access that and see what we received. And then in October, we published a video on recognized security practices that goes into uh, greater detail on the statutory amendment, uh, how regulated entities can demonstrate uh, implementation of recognized security practices, um, how we go about requesting them. And then we took uh, questions and answers from the regulated community. Um, and then speaking more generally, we have um, a plethora of uh, security rule guidance uh, on our website, uh, including uh, how, how to do a security uh, rule risk analysis, um, information about securing mobile devices, uh, understanding, defending, and mitigating uh, against ransomware, uh, NIST special publications, uh, and FAQs on minimizing uh, the risk of medical identity theft. Uh, the last thing I would point out is um, in, in conjunction with uh, the Office of the National Coordinator uh, for Health Information Technology, ONC, uh, we created a free, free security risk assessment tool. Yep. And again, this helps with uh, risk analysis. It assists regulated entities um, it's a desktop application. It walks you through a bunch of security risk assessment processes. Uh, you're guided through multiple uh, choice questions, threat and vulnerability assessments, and asset and vendor management. And it's really designed for the, the small and medium-sized organizations to uh, conduct a, a really good internal security risk assessment to aid in their compliance with the security rules. So all of these resources that I've mentioned, and many, many more, uh, are at uh, hhs.gov, uh, HIPAA for Professionals Security Guidance. If uh, you go to our website, you can you know, find those uh, tabs and uh, you know, some really great stuff to download and, and make use of. Yeah, definitely. And there really should, there's no excuse. We should have the most secure nation on the planet with all these resources that OCR just, that, that Tim just offered everyone. So, like, go to the website. Pull up the information and, and let's get ourselves more secured. Uh, I don't know if it was a newsletter or a paper that came out, I believe, in January that talked about devices running legacy operating systems and um, outdated code versions. Uh, what is OCR's latest guidance on that? Because I know that's a unique one because these are machines and devices that can't necessarily be kind of replaced on a whim. These are helping people stay alive or helping people monitor their health. Um, but what's the latest guidance regarding those devices that are running? older legacy systems or, or outdated codes? Sure. Yeah, it, it was a cybersecurity newsletter I think we did back in January of uh, 2021. And um, the, the cybersecurity newsletters really, uh, you know, function as guidance. It, it's something that we try to put out uh, multiple uh, times a year, uh, in addition to, you know, some of our more expansive guidance. And so what we said in, uh, the January of 2021 remains, um, evergreen. Now it's, uh, we recognize, you know, the, the issues of, uh, you know, 
swapping out, changing out uh, from legacy systems. And that's not always um, or something that can be readily done uh, quickly. And so we, in the guidance, tried to identify some best practices that if you, if you got to continue to use a legacy system, uh, you know, how to manage the risk. And so, you know, some of the things that we talked about was uh, removing or segregating uh, the legacy system from the internet or from the organization's network. Um, you can maintain like legacy system, but strengthen the existing controls uh, or implement uh, compensating controls. Um, you can, uh, you know, enhance the system activity reviews and audit log to detect uh, unauthorized activity. You can perhaps restrict who has access to the le uh, legacy system to only a you know really necessary uh, number of users. Uh, strengthen the authentic authentication requirements and access controls. And so really, if, if you got to maintain a legacy system, if there's a way of isolating it, uh, you know, in visualizing your mind, keeping it in a locked room, but, you know, in, uh, electronically disconnecting it from the system so that uh, you can access the system, but somebody from the outside or somebody who uh, you know, is able to uh, obtain credentials, uh, brute force, hack, uh, et cetera, they're not able to ever uh, uh, access the legacy system. Those, those, and, and, and many other you know helpful thoughts uh, are our best ideas on how to control for you know that situation. As uh, you know, perhaps because of uh, you know budget issues or because of uh, the length of time that it takes to transition from one uh, you know information system to another, uh, there could be a legacy system that remains in place that pre presents certain vulnerabilities. And that, again, that's what the risk analysis. Um, uh, purposes you identify it, and then what are the measures you can take to bring that risk down to a reasonable and appropriate level? No, that sounds great. Uh, and I guess my final thought, and you can feel free to comment after this, is you did mention it's a, it's an exciting time in terms of patient access and patient data and taking care of your health, but it's also one that we have to be on the other side vigilant and and for OCR compliant. Correct. Yeah, it's, that's just it. It's it's a great time to be a patient and consumer. You know, when I go to the doctor and I get uh, you know tests done, blood work, I you know can often you know access that information you know that afternoon or the next day, and that's you know that's 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 great. That's uh, that the information is power. Having that information, knowing what's going on with your body, making informed healthcare decisions, it, it's it's a wonderful time. But uh, you know, as I said, there's always a but. Um, the, the you know is the, the risks. Uh, to your health information are, are greater, you know, uh, because it, the the criminal activity has changed, and so it's it's no longer you know breaking into buildings and taking paper files and, and stealing laptops and, and such. It's you, you can do it with uh, you know a VPN and a, a router. Uh, try to mask your identity. It shows you're coming from a foreign country, and you know you could be down the street or, or across the street from the healthcare entity that you're hacking into. Yep. We have to be more sophisticated. We have to be a lot more sophisticated with our cyber uh, literacy, I would say, perhaps. Uh, special thanks to Tim Noonan, the Deputy Director of Health Information, Privacy, Data, and Cybersecurity with OCR. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'd love to have you on again just to kind of wake everyone up, just again, maybe quarterly, just to give everyone a little shake, like, hey, you know, stay compliant. Well, thank you. I enjoyed uh, speaking with you and uh, look forward to uh, you know, having, having more time to uh, talk in the future. Definitely. Uh, this has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the healthcare IT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, weedy.org. Thank you for joining us and be safe.